I, I could not be more excited about the next few weeks in this series. And you're like maybe looking at the title going, I'm not sure exactly where we're going here with the winsome thing. If you're in a community group, you've already gotten a little bit of a head start because you already had a chance to be in the text that we're going to be in today. But I just want to set the idea up and in, in, in mostly in this way. We ended last week, if you were here, with an illustration of an accordion. We were talking about how the church functions best when it functions like an accordion. And you're like, okay, what does an accordion have to do with anything? Well, an accordion uh, plays beautiful music when it opens and closes, when it opens and closes, when it extends and when it contracts, when it's wide and when it's together. And we talked about how that is the rhythm of church and the rhythm of the people of God, that it can't be all about bigger, 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 more, 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 eventually the music stops playing. But it can't be about smaller, 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 together, 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 me and mine, all deep, 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 because the music stops playing as also. The, the beauty of the church happens when we find intentional relationships with people that we can walk our whole life with and encouragement. But then when we open our hearts up wide enough to know that there are many more people who need and want to experience what we have found in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And when both of those things are happening together, the music of the church plays for the world. The city hears our song. And through these next few weeks, I want to make sure as Passion City Church that we're thinking the right way. Because like today, we have 200 people sitting in the oval. We had a few people lined along the walls. We had to squeeze in and, and kind of put a few people here and there. But look, we've got an entire city surrounding us. And most of the city is looking for meaning and purpose for their lives. And we believe we have found something so amazing that we want to make sure they have the opportunity opportunity to hear and know about the Jesus that we have found. We are living in a very fragile city. We learned that this week. Our city is fragile. I mean, and the world's making fun of us right now, and for good reason. I mean, I understand all that. If you, if you were in uh, snow, whatever we're calling it this year, I hadn't settled on a word yet. If you were in that on Tuesday, can you just raise your hand? Anybody out? Okay, so we're all enough of us in it that you know it was crazy. And that was from an inch and a half or two and a half inches of snow or whatever it was in your particular part of town. Imagine if just by some freak of nature, it had snowed four inches instead of an inch and a half. Just imagine that. Think about that just for a second. And that could have happened. You know, stranger things have happened. Just imagine it, the, the, the barometric pressure and the dew point and the humidity and all the other things we hear about that we don't understand all collided in, in just a perfect way that twice as much snow came as came. We'd still be parked. We would all still be parked somewhere right now, today. And, and what it says to us when something like that happens, what we understand is the city is fragile. The city looks on the exterior like... We're the ninth biggest city in America. We have six million people. We're awesome. We're incredible. Everyone who's from here already knew that, but all of you who've moved here, congratulations. You know that now. It's the best city on planet Earth, and we all kind of operating in, man, have you seen our new Ferris wheel? Uh, you know, we're getting the new Civil Rights Museum down at Centennial Olympic Park in the College Sports Hall of Fame or the College Football Hall of Fame, and we have, uh, we've got the best mall, and, you know, we've got 
blah, 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 and we have Coca-Cola, and you know, we're the, we're the home of Delta Airlines, and we kind of look at Atlanta like, yeah, it's a great place, but then in a moment like last Tuesday, you realize how fragile the city is. And I think that sometimes when days like Tuesday come, they help all of us understand how fragile life is. Because we've got something on DVR right now. We're going to get dinner with some friends. We, we went to Ikea and got a new, a new piece of furniture and tried to put it together. And you know, there's all these exterior layer things, but underneath all of that, we're living in a fragile city and there are fragile people in the fragile city. And the reality of life is simply this, that most people in this city are looking for something today, still today looking for something. People in this city, and this is the positive, are open. They're open, and they're not closed off. You, you come to people and say, hey, I have found happiness. I have found sense of peace in my life. I've found purpose for why I'm on planet Earth. People go, oh, I don't want happiness. I don't want to hear about any peace. I don't want to know about any purpose. People are like, what, what, what are you doing? What, what, what's working for you? People are open. People are hungry. And underneath it all, people are hurting. We are living in a city filled with searching, open, hungry, hurting people. And this building today is filled with searching, open, hungry, hurting people. We're going to talk today and for the next few weeks about reaching people for Jesus. But before we go one more step, can I just take a little sidebar and say that some of you in the building today are looking for Jesus? And we're going to talk as a family of God today, and I don't want you to feel awkward because we're going to talk about you today. And so as the, as the message goes on, and so if you brought a friend from work today and you know already that your friend doesn't know Jesus yet and the friend that you brought knows that they don't know Jesus yet and y'all are sitting next to each other right now and you're like, oh my gosh, this wasn't the right week to bring them because we're going to talk about reaching them and them is, is sitting, she's here with me today, you know, and this is weird, you know. I just want to take all the pressure off of that today. Because if you're on the way to faith, if you are still looking for an answer, if you're still trying to figure out where does God fit into my life and still kind of come to terms with who Jesus is, just take a deep breath today. But we're going to talk about you for a little bit today. Do you know why? Because God cares about you. He cares about you. If you're on the path, on the way, on the journey, haven't figured it all out yet, haven't connected the dots, don't really know if Jesus is the Son of God yet, God is so for you. He is so leaning your way. He has stacked everything he can up in such a way that you will have the fullest, most meaningful life possible. And as his people in his church, we don't have a social club insider's mentality. We have a we want to be about what God is about mentality. And what we have found is so good, we don't want anybody to miss out on what we have found. Now, the other sidebar is this, that we're not forcing our viewpoint on anybody. We're, we're, our goal today is not to say, oh, you just got here? Well, we're going to make you believe like we believe. That is not our goal today. It is not to force you to make a decision and to choose a way of faith and to choose a path of spirituality. That is not our agenda 
In the same way that if you hung around with me, you would discover that I love barbecue. I love barbecue. I love barbecue. I mean, my navigator will tell you when we're traveling around America, because the rest of the world doesn't understand barbecue, this is one of the great reasons to live in America right then and there, uh, because we get barbecue. And when, when other countries do, they'll get feedback on that. Um, they have a good braai, you know, down in uh, South Africa, and uh, there's other places that know how to grill, and the Argentinians think they invented it all. But no, I'm talking about barbecue. I'm talking about barbecue. And anybody with me on this? And so I'll go like a hundred miles out of my way to good barbecue. I really will. I know it's sad, isn't it? But hey, you know, you got to have a vice. Everybody's got a few and that barbecue is one of mine. All right. And if you hang around with me, you'll hear, well, how about what if we go to barbecue? And you're like, I don't like barbecue. I'm a vegan, you know. I don't, they don't have any vegan options at barbecue. And I'll be like, well, we can't be friends. I mean, that's as simple as it is. That's just the way it is. Me and you part ways right there. I'll see you in heaven, you know. <laughs> hey, there's nothing wrong with that, you know. Some of you are going Broncos. Some of you are going Seahawks. That's okay. We're all going to get to heaven together in the end. But I want you to know, I'm never going to make you eat barbecue. Never once am I going to hold you down at the table and say, you're eating this brisket right now. Because this is the best brisket in Mississippi, and I know. No. But you're going to hear about barbecue from me. And in the same way, if you hang around me, you're going to hear about Jesus. I'm never going to force you to believe in him. And we actually won't have to part ways. I can still be your friend. But you're going to hear about what's changed my life. And so with the sidebar of, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, just know that we're not talking about you. I don't know who you are. I don't know who any of you are. And if you brought someone today who doesn't know Jesus, just be grateful because they're going to hear about God's heart for them today. Because God cares about them deeply. And on the other side of the sidebar, just know today that this isn't about us going out to the city of Atlanta and saying, we're going to make you believe in what we believe in. It's really about coming to a heart change of believing that we live in a city of six million people and the vast majority of them today are searching. And they're open. And they're hungry. And they're hurting. I want to talk about two things today as we set this up, and then we're going to unpack the subtitle a little bit later, The Life That Leads to Why. But I want to unpack two big ideas today, and the first one is this, is that I believe that I have found and we have found the irreducible minimum in life. Can you just write down irreducible minimum? I had to look it up because I wasn't spelling it right because I'm not a good speller. It has an I in it and not an A at the end. But um, what is the irreducible minimum? The irreducible minimum is when you discover... The one thing in life that you cannot do without in life. And to discover the irreducible minimum in any situation, it will make you a better businessman. It'll make you a better parent. It'll make you a better friend. In all situations, if you can sort of get through the riffraff and get down to what is the irreducible minimum here? What is the most important thing in this deal or in this conversation or in this equation? What is the very 
critical mass at the heart of all this. And when we can get to the irreducible minimum in life, we have found a, a treasure of great price. Now, going back to Tuesday, and, and somebody's going to hear this later and go, what happened Tuesday? We don't know what happened Tuesday. On Tuesday, at about 11.15, it started snowing in the city of Atlanta, Georgia. It was not like um, a blizzard. It was more like uh, the stuff that they make, uh, the fake stuff they make at Christmas time, you know, the, the, the little flakes that are kind of not real. That's what started at 11.15, at least where we were. And I'm like, oh, look, it's snowing already, and it's not sticking, and we're in a meeting, so we just kept meeting. And then about one o'clock, everybody started realizing, wow, okay, I think I'm going to get out of here. And we learned what happens when a million people leave at one time in Atlanta. It's trouble. And it was massive trouble. Um, Just a little survey here. How many of you did not make it home on Tuesday night? Anybody here? These are the brave warriors. No, I want you to hold my mic because you're going to tell this story the rest of your life. You've already told it a thousand times. That's pretty amazing. Could you hold them up one more time? I missed. These are people did not make it home on Tuesday night. Okay, and not because you were in California or somewhere on business, but uh, you were here. How many of you were in the 15 to 20 hour range in your car on Tuesday? Anybody? 15 to 20 hours, okay? Anybody 10 to 15 hour range on Tuesday in your car? Anybody in the 5 to 10 hour range in your car on Tuesday? Yeah. Okay, if you were in this deal, you, 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 you understand what I'm about to say. If you were not in it and you watched it on 11 Alive News or Channel 2, David Chanley, um, you, you don't get it. And if you saw it on the national news, you don't get it. If you got stuck in your car for 10 hours, here's a couple things that were going on. You started working through your irreducible minimums. (laughs) Do you have to have lunch? No. It's not the irreducible minimum. Do you need to eat, period? No. Not right away. Not for a while. Uh, do you need to listen to uh, Sirius XM radio? No. Give me some news and tell me what's going on. Uh, do you need uh, water? Not for a while. Do you need to go to the restroom in an indoor restroom facility? <laughs> Is that the irreducible minimum? Answer? No. Okay, I'm going to push it here, and we might edit it later. Could you figure out a way to go to the restroom in your car? Anybody? No, I'm asking. I'm asking for real. Anybody? Yes. You can figure out how to do that, because that's not the irreducible minimum. See, all your life you thought, one thing I'll never do is go to the restroom in my car. That's just never going to happen. Because there's always Burger King. There's always an option. There's always the side of the road. But when you're stuck in traffic and there's cars in front of you and behind you as far as you can see, and there's really not any getting out options going on, you start thinking about it. Start figuring things out. And I'll just let you use your imagination on that and won't explain anything that I have any knowledge of because I don't have any knowledge of that that I'm willing to share with anybody here. Figure it out. Okay, so what's the irreducible minimum when you're stuck in a million people on the road? You say it's getting home. 
That's the irreducible. That's, that's, that's what you start thinking about. I just got to get home. Some of these people didn't get home. That's not the irreducible minimum. What is the irreducible minimum? Tell me. Staying alive is the irreducible minimum. That's why some people slept in convenience stores. That's why some people slept at Home Depot. That's why some people knocked on strangers' doors. Because at the end of the day, the make and model of my car didn't matter. What I was going to have for lunch didn't matter. Whether I was going to meet my friends for dinner didn't matter. Hold on. Picking up my kids from school didn't even turn out to be the irreducible minimum. The irreducible minimum was, are my kids alive and am I alive? Because if they're alive and I'm alive, Lord willing, we will reconnect at some point. And that's the irreducible minimum. And when we can get that kind of clarity on life, we, we get a compelling purpose in our life. And so I want to give you that what I believe is the irreducible minimum. For all of us at Passion City Church, the irreducible minimum is this. People need Jesus. That's the irreducible minimum. People need Jesus. And when that irreducible minimum becomes clear to me in my life, then the lens by which I look at life changes permanently. And as the people of God, the church of God, the family of God, we have to get the irreducible minimum, which is the city of Atlanta. And I know it sounds like preacher talk. I know it sounds like church talk, but it's true. The city of Atlanta needs Jesus. Every person that you know and every person you ever meet Okay, just want you to think about that for a minute. So I'm going to back up and let that sink in. I'll come again. Every person you know and every person that you will ever meet has a paramount and urgent banner over their life. So don't you just think about that for a minute. I want to go too fast. So every person you meet in a restaurant, every server that comes to your table, Every person that you meet in a business meeting, um, the person that you're standing in line behind in the grocery store that you're having a little conversation with, your cousin, your, your, the people who live in the apartment above you, every person you know and every person you will ever meet has a paramount and urgent banner over their life. And that banner reads this, that they were created by and for Jesus. Like, where are you getting that crazy idea? Straight out of the scripture, which says in the beginning was Jesus. Jesus is the originator of life and all things have been created by him and for him. These are the two big questions in life. These are the two big dilemmas in humanity. How did I get here and why am I here? And they're answered in the person of Christ. You got here by the, the design of Jesus. And you're here for a relationship with Jesus. So everybody I know and everybody I will ever meet has a paramount and urgent banner over their life. And the banner reads, 
Susie was created by Jesus and for Jesus. Justin was created by Jesus and for Jesus. And so all of a sudden, everything changes in my world. And I know that everyone I know and everyone I'll I'll meet has a paramount, urgent banner over their life that says they were created by and for Jesus. And the last part of that is this, and that they, without him, will never fully experience everything they were created to experience. So you can drive up in your Maybach, and you can, you can valet in front of the restaurant, and you can look like a million bucks, but over your life is a banner that says you were created by Jesus and for Jesus, and the Maybach is sweet, man, but the Maybach isn't going to be enough to get you everything God intended for your life. I'm looking through this lens. You're like, well, you already kind of feels like you're putting everybody in, you know, a different camp, like you have this relationship with God and everybody else doesn't have this relationship with God. No, I'm just telling you, I love barbecue. I love barbecue. And I wouldn't even mind having a Maybach. Couldn't, because that would look weird, but, uh, and can't afford it. Oh, that's the other thing. But, um, but other than that, be nice, right? But I know because of my arc of life, that there's not a car on planet earth that can fill up a place that was created for Jesus. And so from the experience of life, I love barbecue. And I know what it means to know that I was created by and for Jesus. And that my life will not be everything God intended for it to be without him. And the last part of that is this, the stakes are high. That's the irreducible minimum. And that's what I want to be coursing through the veins of Passion City Church. If you got your scripture, our key passage is going to be, at least for the next couple of weeks, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And I won't, won't give us the whole backdrop of 1 Corinthians 9, but it's going to be helpful for you and me to understand what we're jumping into. And Corinthians is written by the Apostle Paul, who was a very successful person in a world without Jesus. Okay, so that's a beautiful thought. Can you, can you just make sure you grab that with me today? Paul was a very successful man in a world without Jesus. So he wasn't born in a Christian home. He wasn't raised in the Baptist church. He didn't go to vacation Bible school when he was little. He was born in a very affluent family. He had the right education. He was very successful and on a track to be a major leader in his lifetime in a a framework that did not include a relationship with Jesus. But Paul had an encounter with Christ, a very powerful encounter with Christ. I, I, I like to think a lot of us have had a powerful encounter with Jesus. That's how we got to where we are on the journey. We didn't fill out a card, sign a thing, join a deal, do a membership class. We actually met the person of Jesus. And when we met him and came to know him, we came to discover that we were created by him. Therefore, we have incredible worth and value. And we were created for him. Therefore, we have a home in this life and in the one to come. And Paul figured that out. And as Paul began then to proclaim the change Jesus made in his life, some of the religious leaders in the culture he was in started challenging his authority to preach the gospel. 
And so in chapter 9, he's defending himself. He's saying, hey, maybe I'm not one of the original apostles, but I met Jesus and he has given me a role as an apostle to proclaim the message of Jesus, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ. So he's defending his calling and compelling desire to preach the gospel. So that's what we're jumping into. So we'll catch up with him around uh, verse 15. And this is what Paul says. But I've not used any of these rights. Now, the rights he's talking about are the rights to be paid for what you do. And he includes pastors in that. So if you've ever thought, why are pastors paid? Because everybody should be paid for what they do. And he outlines that in the verses above. But he's going to say, even though I should be paid for preaching the gospel, I'm not being paid for preaching the gospel because I want to preach the gospel for free (laughs) because that's how much I love the gospel. Don't you love that kind of a gospel? And this is what he's going to say. Here are his words. But I've not used any of these rights, and I'm not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me. I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of this boast. Yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, for I am compelled to preach. And then I love his heart. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel, exclamation point. Woe to me. I mean, this is not going to go good for me if I don't preach the gospel. And I'll tell you why. Coming just back around it, because Paul understood the irreducible minimum. He got the irreducible minimum when he met Jesus. It was so profound that he could not not share what he had come to know with every person that he came in contact with. So he said, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Verse 17, if I preach voluntarily... I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I'm simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? It is this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge and so not make use of my rights in preaching it. Okay, just a little side note there. What Paul was saying was, I want my reward at the end of the day when I get to heaven to be that I just preach the gospel. I didn't preach the gospel for any selfish gain, any personal gain, any, any ambition or any material gain. I just preached the gospel for free to as many people as possible. And to do that, just so you'll understand, Paul actually had another job. He was a tent maker. He was always trying to figure a way that he could not be a burden on people and he could just proclaim the gospel for free. But then here comes his heart in verse 19. He says, but though I am free... And I belong to no man. I make myself a slave to everyone. If you're reading this with me, I want you to read this phrase with me, especially if you can see it on the screen because it's in the same translation. I make myself a slave to everyone. Say this next phrase with me. To win as many as possible. So he got the irreducible minimum. That everybody I know and everybody I meet has a paramount and urgent banner over their life, which reads, they were created by and for Jesus. And without Jesus, they will never fully experience the full potential of what God intended for their lives. And the stakes are high. And he said, I get that. And because of that, even though I'm free, I don't have to do anything. God has set me free. Grace has set me free. The gospel has made me free. And I don't really have to do anything. He said, I'm choosing to make myself 
a servant to every single person. And here's why. Because I want to win as many people as possible. Now, the word win is an interesting word. It's a Greek word called um, keradino. And keradino is an agricultural term. And what it literally means is trading for something better. And so you'd come into a marketplace and you said, you know, I've got a, a bushel of corn, but I'm really going to try to trade that for uh, two, two things of wheat. And, I, and, and hopefully, if I'm a good trader, I'm going to trade up. You want to trade up in life and not trade down in life. You don't want to come in with something that's worth this and trade it for something worth this. And that's the heart of this word. And so what Paul is saying is, coming into life, looking across the span of life, I want to take my opportunity and I want to trade up with my opportunity to win or to achieve the very best result. And I don't want to settle for something less. I want to end up with something more. And the something more for me is that people will come to faith in the same Jesus that I have come to know and that I love. And so then he comes around, how is he going to do that? He says, so to the Jews, I became like a Jew. Why did he do that? Hello? It's right there, to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law. Though I need you to know, I myself am not under the law. Why did he become like one under the law? Hello? So as to win those under the law. To those not having any law, I became like one not having the law. Parentheses again. Though I am not free from God's law, but under Christ's law. He knew his audience so well. He says, and why did he become like those under the law? So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. Why? To win the weak. I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. And I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. We're going to talk about this in a few weeks, but it fires me up just thinking about it and what we mentioned earlier about the Grammys. He says, you know, to the Jews, I'm going to become like a Jew. To those who are under the law, I'm going to get into their head and I'm going to think like people under the law and I'm going to get in their world and in their culture as people under the law. To those who don't have any law, I'm going to get in their world and think like and get into the cultural stream of the people who don't have any law. And he knows that he's going to get attacked for that. And he says, oh, don't worry, I'm under Jesus. Oh, oh, don't worry, I already am connected to the bigger law, which is Christ's control of my life. But you need to know what Paul is saying is, A, I'm doing this for free, and B, I've got the irreducible minimum, and I've got a clear and compelling purpose for my life because of that irreducible minimum, and it is to get with all the people I can get with, to get into their world, understand their thinking, get into their cultural framework, so that I can not become a chameleon in my life, and just change into whatever world I'm in. Oh, I'm with you today, so I'm with you today. Oh, that's cool. Great. I'm with my guys today. We're playing golf today. I'm just one of the guys today. Oh, tomorrow I'm at my little men's Bible study, so I'm with my little men's Bible study today. Oh, now I'm with these people over here, so I kind of get like these people over here, and I just change from group to group to group. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul is saying, I'm inserting myself into the mentality and the cultural understanding of every single kind of person there is, so that one singular ambition can come true. And from that group and that group and that group and that group and that group, I can win some people to the cause of Jesus Christ. I'm not not 
slave to anybody, but I'm making myself a servant of everybody so that I can win as many people as possible because I want to share in the blessing of the gospel. Um, if you were at Passion as a door holder or student, you heard Christine Kane speak there, a little tornado of uh, Jesus. And I, I've heard her say this almost every time she's ever spoken. She talked about we're all looking for our purpose in life. And she said, my purpose in life is crystal clear. She said, my purpose in life is to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with as many people as possible so that I can participate in the evangelization of the world in my generation. That's my purpose in life. What's yours? You see, it's a mind shift because when we get to the irreducible minimum, something changes. And the something that changes when we get to the irreducible minimum is this, that we get a clear and compelling purpose for our lives. When you get the irreducible minimum, you also get with it a clear and compelling purpose. When you know that everybody has a paramount urgent banner over their life which says you were made by and for Jesus and without Jesus you'll never be everything you were designed to be and the stakes are high, with that there comes a clarifying moment and, and a compelling purpose comes over our lives. And we start understanding, I want to make sure that I live my life in such a way that everybody has an opportunity to know that I love barbecue. And they may never love barbecue, but I want to give them every possible chance. You don't like Carolina barbecue? Uh, maybe you'll like Texas barbecue. You don't like ribs? Maybe you'll like the chicken. You don't like the chicken? We'll try the sausage. You don't like sausage? Okay. We'll try the pork loin. We'll keep working every angle till we've exhausted every opportunity to communicate to you that there is a God in heaven who loves you. And there is a Jesus Christ who is the greatest one of all. You know, Jesus himself said in Luke 19.10, he said, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus never stepped out of heaven without understanding the irreducible minimum. People need Jesus. Here I come. And that irreducible minimum for Jesus gave him his clear and compelling purpose on earth. People need Jesus. And therefore, I'm going to need to step into the story the innocent son of God going to take on the sin of the world on my innocent life. There's going to be a transfer that happens in heaven. All of your wrongs are going to be put on my life and all of my right is going to be put on your life. It's going to be a, design, a divine transaction like no one has ever seen before. It is grace that blows our minds. And when that happens, God is going to be able, based on my life, my death, my sacrifice, my intervention, my standing in your place, taking your blows, suffering your shame, dying your death, being buried in your tomb, being raised by the power 
power of God. Because I do that, God will be able to say, I forgive you, I wash you, I cleanse you, I erase your debt. You're a brand new person. I'm gonna bring your heart to life. I'm gonna put you in a new family. I'm gonna give you a whole new identity and I'm gonna connect you with God forever. Your heart's gonna beat again. Your hope is gonna come to life. Faith is gonna rise up in you. You're gonna have a place with God in this family and in his family. You're gonna get the word which is gonna nourish you in hope and in faith and in truth and you are gonna have a purpose on earth, something to wake up in the morning for and something to give your life for and you're gonna have a view that's way bigger than today, tomorrow, and the next day. God is gonna do all that. Why? Because Christ stepped into the story and lived out the gospel. And he says, this is a clear view, guys. You gotta understand, yes, I can walk on water and yes, I can feed 5,000 and yes, I can tell amazing sermons and yes, I can care for the, the needy and yes, I can touch people who no one else wants to touch. But the reason I'm here is to seek and to save that which was lost. And that's the reason you're here. So he gets to the end of his ministry, to the very end of Matthew chapter 28. And he says this, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Okay, you got that part? All right, here's the deal. Go and make disciples of every single nation. Teach them to observe everything I've taught you and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And don't worry, I'm gonna be with you the entire way. But wait, because the Holy Spirit's coming and he's gonna do something that you've never seen before. He's gonna fill you with amazing power to do the very thing I've called you to do. So here's the mission, go to the world and tell them about me. Here's the mission, go to every nation and tell them about me. But wait until the Spirit comes and when the Spirit comes, bam, you're gonna get power. Power to do what? Be, oh man, we got all the spirits come now. We got power. No, you're going to get power so that you can proclaim the gospel in power to everybody on the planet. It's one mission and it's one clear, compelling purpose. It's the irreducible minimum. And if the church misses that, the church becomes a social organization, which is so me-focused and myopic that the world around us continues to search and to be open and to be hungry and to be hurting while we are all found and we are all together and we are all worshiping and we are all happy and we are all his people. And what Jesus is saying is, I want you to, um, now that you're free (laughs) and becoming free, I want you to make yourself a servant to everyone in this city so that you can win as many people in this city as possible. You know, it's interesting. um, If you never tell your story of Jesus, you can count on a couple things happening. Number one, no one's ever going to come to know the story of Jesus. If you never tell the story of Jesus, you can count on this, no one's ever going to come to know the story of Jesus. You're like, no, Louis, I'm just going to live my life in such a way that people are going to come to know Jesus. Awesome. How's that working? You know, the reason we start talking about evangelism, that everybody gets a little nervous. Anybody nervous right now? Is anybody happy? Anybody nervous? Anybody feeling like, yeah, I'm not really an evangelist, and I know that's great for Paul, but I'm not Paul, and I, I'm not that. I'm just a businessman. And You love barbecue, don't you? We're nervous about evangelism because um, they're the hardcore witness, witnessers. I'm not knocking anybody, just telling there's there's that group. You know, they got tracks on them and standing on street corners and 
knocking on doors. I mean, I mean, God bless the Jehovah's Witnesses. They come to our house every other week. I'm not kidding. Every other week we have a little conversation. Hi. Events like the snow jam, did the, were those troubling and unsettling to you? Like they were, but you know, we know Jesus at our house, and so ultimately everything's good here. Oh, you know Jesus. Well, what do you think about the prophecies of Daniel? I'm like, man, we believe it from beginning to end. Son of God, come to earth, given his life for the sins of the world, dead, buried, raised from the dead by the power of God, giving us the spirit so that Christ can live in us. And we're not perfect yet, but we're on the way in this house. We are on the way, you know? (laughs) And it's not like a boxing match because these are the nicest ladies you've ever met. I mean, they're modestly dressed from head to toe on a Saturday, knocking on my door and they don't go okay you know x address they get it they got jesus and we're not gonna we're not they're not coming to to our church no they come two weeks later when you see the news about the troubling events in the middle east do you wonder about what might happen in the world i said man the world is jacked up ladies i will tell you that It is jacked up. We are living in a jacked up world. But you know, Jesus Christ is the rock of our salvation. He really is. He is like firm foundation under our feet. Have you investigated the prophecies of Ezekiel? Absolutely, man. Dry bones dancing, people. This is the gospel. This is the gospel of Jesus. Two weeks later. Interest rates are rising. (laughs) You're like, yeah, I don't don't know about that, you know, evangelism, Louis. That makes me nervous. Well, you know, I know. Uh, There's those people. There's the my life people. We mentioned them. You know, I, I don't need to use words. My life is my story. There's those people. There's the, hey, God's in charge of that, and I'm not in charge of that people. Um, there's the social gospel people. Um, can't tell people about Jesus until you give them something to eat. So I'm just worried about giving people something to eat. And then there's the fifth camp of people who just don't ever think about it. Because it's not about them. And I don't want us to wedge into any of those groups. I want us to help the needy. I want us to live lives. I want us to think about it. And I do want us to believe that ultimately it's up to God. But I want to know that at some point in time, we have to be able to say to people, um, his name, the one who changed my life, his name is Jesus. And I may not know the whole story, but I know enough of the story. And I get the irreducible minimum. We're going to come back next week and talk about the fact that we have an irrefutable argument. And the irrefutable argument is that Jesus has changed our life. And I just want to give us encouragement today that if Christ has changed your life, then Christ has given you a story to tell about how he can change someone else's life. But at the end of the day, it's it's not a pressure at the end of the day. It's not, man, how are we going to tell people about Jesus? How, 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 How are we going to do that? We've got six million people in Atlanta, and they all... 
need to hear about Jesus, and I'm, I'm not really know if I'm good at telling people about Jesus. I'm not sure I'm, I'm skilled or trained to do that, and people have a lot of questions and a lot of philosophical you know, arguments out there, and I don't know if I'm prepared to do that. Look, here's the thing. If you have a story of grace, then you have a story of grace to tell, and all God is asking you to do is to live out your story of grace. And that's why our tagline that we're going to look into a lot is the, the life that leads to why. Because our ultimate goal, our ultimate goal in this series is not to get anybody to believe anything. Our ultimate goal in the series is to live the kind of life that makes people want what we have. That's the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal in this series it's not that we would go out as Passion City Church to the highways and the byways and say, man, we're going we're gonna to make everybody make a decision for Jesus. We've got to make everybody put their faith in Jesus. No, the goal of the series is going to be, God, how can I live a life that makes people want what I have? Because when that happens, you don't have to tell people about Jesus. People will ask you about you. And when people ask you about you, then you have an awesome opportunity to tell them about barbecue. You have an awesome opportunity to tell them about Jesus. You have an awesome opportunity to say, hey, yeah, I I am in a process and you are noticing change and you are seeing a different me. And the reason for all that is I have found my purpose in life and it is a relationship with Jesus. And he's doing things in my life that no one has ever done in my life before. And in that moment, the confidence isn't resting on our story. It's resting on us telling Jesus' story. The gospel is so powerful in and of itself that when it is proclaimed, searching, open, hungry, hurting people say yes to Jesus. So I want to make a couple promises because at the end of this series, we're going to pray together as a church. And I don't have a number yet today in my head, but at the end of this series, we're going to pray together as a church and we're going to believe God for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people to come to faith in Jesus in 2014 because of Passion City Church. Not five, not 10, not a dozen, not 106. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people to come to know Jesus this year because Passion City Church exists, because you exist, because you have a story to tell. And we're going to pray for them and believe for them and love them and care about them and serve them and trust God and watch Him work. But at the end of the day, here's the thing. If we never tell the story of the gospel in our lifetime, no one is ever going to respond to the story of the gospel in our lifetime. If we tell as many people as possible the story of the gospel, everyone is not going to respond to the gospel. Paul said, I want to win as many as possible. So to the Jews, I'm going to become like one of the Jews. Why? So I can win some of them. I know I'm not going to win them all, but I'm going to win some. I'm going to become like those under the law. Why? I want to win some of them. I'm not going to win them all, and I know that, but I'm going to win some of them. I'm going to come to the people without the law. Why? Because I want to win some of them. I know I won't win them all, but I'm going to win some of them. And so here's the thing. If we're willing to open our hearts up to the irreducible minimum and to understand that we have an irrefutable argument, which is our story of grace... No one can argue our story of grace. You can argue philosophy all day long. They cannot argue your story of grace. And if we're willing to share that story of grace, here's what's going to happen this year. Some of the people around you are going to put their faith in Jesus. All of them might not. But if you never share of it, none of them are. 
But if you do share it, I promise you, some of them are going to join us on this journey this year. Right here, right now. I want to show you how this works, and this isn't a gimmick. But I believe when the gospel is proclaimed, people who are searching and open and hungry and hurting want to say yes to the love of God shown to them in the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And every time in this church when we proclaim that gospel, somebody puts their faith in Jesus. Every time. I know you get nervous for me every time we do it. Don't you? What's going to happen that one gathering when nobody raises their hand? How many of you have had that thought before? Anybody? A few of you? I knew you did. I can feel it. You're like, come on, somebody. Don't leave him up there. Okay, I am. I don't already know him, but I'm just going to go with it. (laughs) Do you know I feel that too? I feel that too. And on the gathering that that happens, we'll just say, okay. That was one out of every gathering we've had. But I even believe this morning, right now, right now, that God brought somebody to Passion City Church today. And all you've heard this whole time is, there's an irreducible minimum. And it is that I find Jesus. And I know that's true because I've tried everything else. And God brought me here today to hear about Jesus Christ and I'm going to put my faith in him today if you're talking about winning some go ahead and count me in I got one by the grace of God today I'm in I want to put my faith and my trust in Jesus I want to be forgiven I want a new life I want a new start I want to know this Christ who created me for himself that's the power of the gospel